0: Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries. But you know what? I'm working on it and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. Chelsea Brooke Cole is a psychotherapist, author, and certified partner trauma therapist specializing in narcissistic abuse and relational trauma. Chelsea speaks at HR and counseling conferences and national organizations on narcissism in the workplace, how to communicate with difficult people, and effective therapeutic strategies for narcissistic abuse survivors. So Chelsea, thank
1: you so much for joining us. I've been so looking forward to this conversation. Welcome. Thank you. Always excited to talk about narcissistic abuse, gaslighting, hot topics yeah. today and yeah, happy to jump in.
0: Yeah, so, you know, if you do any searching on boundaries, yeah, on any platform, social media, Pinterest, Google, the topic of narcissism comes up like mm-hmm. all over the place. And at first I was kind of confused by that. And then the more I read about it, I was like, oh, oh, I see what's going on here. So why don't we start with the basics? Like, what is a narcissist?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great place to start because it is, it's a buzzword these days. And sometimes if it's overused, it's misused. So when we're talking about, there's a difference between narcissism and NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder. So when I'm talking about narcissism, let me just describe what narcissism is. It is a personality trait characterized by grandiosity, superficiality, superiority, entitlement, interpersonal exploitativeness, and a lack of empathy. So when we talk about a narcissist, we're talking about someone who's really mid to high in the personality trait of narcissism. Now, this means they display those traits predictably over time. That's mm-hmm. that's the key word that I always want people to understand is if someone is a narcissist, then they're consistently acting entitled, defensive, antagonistic. This isn't like a one-off, you know, selfish act or someone who says something rude and goes back and thinks, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Like, this is a person who's consistently acting in antagonistic ways.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And can they, can someone consistently just have some of those traits and not all of them? Or do they all sort of, they're all part of the same ecosystem, Same kind. they depend upon each other?
1: Right. So it's kind of like when you talk about someone being an introvert, an extrovert, a conscientious person, you know, we're talking about a lot of different things. Introverts Mm -hmm. are known for wanting to stay home, preferring to listen more than they talk. So we're talking about a collection of what makes up the personality trait of introversion. So it's very similar Mm -hmm. when you're talking about narcissism, since it's a personality trait too. We tend to see um, antagonism, entitlement defensiveness, lack of empathy, like all of those things are kind of clustered together and that makes up mm-hmm. what narcissism is. And so I heard you say that this is
0: someone who predictably consistently over time has these traits. Can someone be a little bit narcissistic? It could be, yes,
1: because okay. uh, narcissism is a personality trait that exists on a spectrum, just like mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. might be an ambivert. So they're like in that happy medium place of an introvert in between introversion and extroversion. So someone can be a little narcissistic. That might look like someone who's, you know, quite entitled, maybe vain, you know, kind of cares about what things look like a lot, but they're not super vindictive or antagonistic. Mm-hmm. If you get to the higher end of the scale, we're talking about the malignant narcissist, which is basically a cousin to the psychopath. So yes, it does exist, you know, on a spectrum.
0: Right. So, based on that i'm guessing if someone's if you sense someone is a little bit narcissistic that's someone you might be able to talk to about boundaries and deal with you know in some way mm-hmm. and not have to cut them off out of or cut them out of your life right where someone who's like really high end narcissistic is just like there really is no
1: yeah working it- with them Right. Yeah. It's kind of like gauging the amount of toxicity you can handle in your system, like in your world sphere. Yeah. Um, You know, like the the run of the mill narcissist who isn't super vindictive might be, you know, great for livening up a dinner party because they care about what, you know, interacting with everybody and being super engaging. But but they're very superficial. So they're not the person you're going to go to. Um, if you really need a listening ear, if you need someone mm-hmm. to be super compassionate and empathetic, so it would be kind of easier to set boundaries with a low-grade narcissist than a malignant narcissist. It's would take a different set of skills and, and more intentionality behind it. And then someone you describe as a malignant narcissist, I mean, that's, that's abusive
0: behavior, right, when someone is really doing some of these vindictive things. Can we talk about, like,
1: what that is and what that looks like in relationships? hmm So a malignant narcissist is said to be the pinnacle of the dark triad, the point at which narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism, which is that singular focus on power, all collide. So these are the people that are calculating. They're driven by power, profit, pleasure. Um, they will go out of their way to try to ruin your life, to ruin your credibility smear campaigns they'll keep you in court like they're awful to deal with if you have to co-parent or any kind of legal or business financial mm-hmm. situation with them um as far as narcissistic abuse i describe that as a multi-layered attack on your sense of self it's a dismantling of who you are and what you believe you're worth and it mm-hmm. includes things like manipulation passive aggressiveness Defensiveness, gaslighting, as I know we'll get into triangulation, mm-hmm. and it's very insidious. That's what I really feel like is different about narcissistic abuse. Is people often don't recognize that they're being narcissistically abused. Do you think this is just a difficult person? You think you're just having a communication issue, like you're you know communicating in a way, and this other person's just not understanding you. But but it's always a circular. Uh, conflict or disagreements like you you're always having conflicts you can never fully resolve something and slowly over time you just become less and less of of who you are you tend to become more isolated more anxious more depressed more hyper vigilant mm-hmm. but you don't know what to attribute it to and that's the really dangerous thing
0: yeah that insidious it's almost like the uh is it me am i crazy is it what exactly. it, it like you're not quite sure of what's happening here. It's very hard when I've dealt mm-hmm. with narcissists in the past. It's like you can't quite put your finger on it, but there is something happening here. And I can't point it out and say, You're doing this thing. Right. But there is something happening. And it's, it's, that's why it's so difficult to deal with sometimes. And I think, get, correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost like they do it that way on purpose. Because if you can't finger something or point at something and say, this behavior is unacceptable. Right. You know, then they can be like, I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's it's so natural to them. And that's hard for a healthy, you know, agreeable, empathetic person to wrap their head around. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for agreeable people, you're just naturally agreeable. Like you want harmony, you want cooperation, you naturally show empathy, you care about others. Narcissists are being who they naturally are, antagonistic They blame shift. They say everything is your fault. They're looking to kind of do what they want, how they want, when they want. And you setting boundaries gets in the way of them doing that, which is why they push back on your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And narcissistic abuse happens so subtly that you think the insecurities you're experiencing are you instead of what's happening to you.
0: Right, right. And you internalize some of those abusive messages you get saying, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe it's Maybe yeah, I am wrong, wrong about this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of times you've mentioned this and I definitely want to spend some time on this because again, I've I've I have encountered narcissists in the past mm-hmm. and so I I you know, I know my, about my experience, but you talked about gaslighting. I'd love yes. to talk about gaslighting. What is gaslighting? I mean, I kind of know where the word comes from and stuff and we've talked and I've heard about it in the media a million oh, times. Yeah. But, um, but let's talk about that and how that impacts relationships.
1: Mm-hmm. Gaslighting happens when someone is set on trying to take over your reality. And it's, it's a pattern. I think we hear about gaslighting kind of like we hear about narcissism or someone being a narcissist. And then someone disagrees with you and you say, oh, you're gaslighting me. But gaslighting is so much more than someone simply having a different opinion or, you know, not seeing something the same way. So I wanted to talk about the process of gaslighting. Yeah. Number one, it has to happen with someone that you have some form of familiarity with or trust with. You know, a, a stranger can't really gaslight you. They can't totally make you question your reality and sanity because you don't have any trust with them. If they say something off the wall or if they say you didn't just say something that you just said or something didn't happen that you know happened, you're like, what is wrong with them? Like, They just don't have the ability. So gaslighting happens mostly in, you know, relationships with partners, maybe someone you're getting to know, family members, colleagues, bosses, someone you have some form of respect, trust, familiarity with. The second layer of gaslighting is they are lying. There is a denial of reality. They say you said something that you didn't say. You did something you didn't do. They will deny things that they said, that they did. And the last piece of gaslighting is that they leave you with the sense that there's something wrong with you, that you Mm -hmm. are going crazy, that you start questioning your competence, your memory, your just general sanity. And it kind of follows that process over and over again. So it's not a one-time thing. It's something that someone does over time that eventually leads you to question your reality completely, even your ability to know about new things like you just don't trust your perspective at all
0: yeah and that can happen in a personal relationship like you said but it can also happen in the workplace Mm -hmm. um and create toxic work environments either there's someone on the same level as you or or a superior or something that just makes your life miserable um what do you do when like in some relationships you can leave in some relationships it's like an adult parent or it's, you know, someone you can't just abandon unless it's so abusive you have to, yeah. or it's, you know, you depend on that job and you can't really leave. What do you do when you're dealing with someone
1: mm-hmm.
0: that toxic?
1: The first thing you have to do if you're questioning the relationship, if you have this sense like you were talking about, something is off, something doesn't add up here, something's not making sense, or or you're just starting to feel more worthless, isolated, hopeless. There's been a shift. The first thing I walk all my clients through is there has to be a period of understanding. That's where mm-hmm. we get into Googling, you know, random things like why, why do I feel crazy? Am I the narcissist? Like you kind of you usually do this deep dive initially to understand what you're experiencing. Because when you can start to step back and observe what's happening then you start to take some of your power back because a gaslighter has the most power when you don't trust yourself, you don't check in with yourself, you don't know yourself. And so the first thing to do if you suspect that you're being gaslighted is to kind of take a mental and emotional step back and start observing the relationship. You might even write things down. That that often helps a lot of people because then you can go back and say, wait a minute, I did say that. Here are the text messages where we did agree what time we were supposed to meet, and we did have that conversation. Mm-hmm. and you can go back and start to see these patterns, and that is you, you know, taking steps to get your reality back. So that's some of the first things I've encouraged people to do.
0: So years ago, uh, without getting into too much identifying detail, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I had a friend who uh, I would now say was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, that person was part of a friend group, and um, they suddenly died, suddenly died. Oh and a few of us in that friend group, then we came together because uh, we had been told he was from a terrible, abusive family and all this other stuff. And we made funeral arrangements. We arranged a mass. I got a church. I got a priest. We got flowers. Like we did the whole thing. And as we were doing all of this for our dear friend, discovered all the lies, all the lies, all the gaslighting. And then one of our dear friends who was part of this group came forward and said, oh yeah, he had been gaslighting me all this time. And I never said anything to any of you because I didn't think anyone would believe me Mm -hmm. um I mean it went so far as he lied about having cancer and Mm -hmm. so we all thought he was a cancer patient and and she said well what if I come forward and say all these things you're never going to believe me because here he is going through cancer treatment right so like as you're talking about step back and analyze the relationship she knew she knew like oh this is bad this is this guy's totally gaslighting me. I cannot trust this person. I'm going to, I'm going to exit myself from this relationship. But the rest of us didn't know because she was so afraid she wouldn't be believed. So what do you say to someone who might be in that situation where they're afraid to like, let's say there's someone in their family yeah. and they, they need to talk to someone else or warn other people or explain why they're removing themselves from a relationship.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, and and that is the tricky part of it because that's exactly what narcissistic abuse and what gaslighting ends up doing is isolating you right. from other people because right, right. once you've experienced narcissistic abuse or identified a narcissist, the world becomes divided between people who get it and people who don't. Mm-hmm. And depending on where you are in that healing journey, it may or may not be the right call to go tell other people about right. what you know or don't know so it really it depends but if you're in that situation you can in a way test the waters to see who's open to hearing this or who's not Mm -hmm. you you might ask like in that situation your friend could have came to you guys and asked hey have you you know noticed this and this about this friend like kind of in a way seeing who's open to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. seeing the holes in this person's story. Right, right. Because there are often enablers around gaslighters and narcissists, right, right, passive or active, people who just simply don't know, or right. people who actively support the narcissist's story because they want to keep that attachment, it's an important person, it is a family member or a long-term friend. And depending on where they're at, they may not be open to seeing you know mm-hmm. the person's gaslighting yeah which could further victimize the person who does see it
0: yeah i felt so terrible for her cuz she really was isolated from everybody yeah. and and couldn't participate and um and i think in a way he succeeded because he kind of siloed each of us with what information we were told and yeah. so i don't know if if she came to each of us we would have been able to confirm things like it's so it's so insidious On that happy note, (laughs) we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. That's a Hard Note is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate, so bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch.
1: We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day, your way.
0: And we're back with Chelsea Brooke Cole. So Chelsea, how do we say no to gaslighting?
1: It's a very internal process because a lot of people that I initially talk to they are being gaslighted, They're usually quite agreeable. They don't really want the conflict. And if you've been in this gaslighting pattern, then you know evidence is irrelevant. It doesn't (laughs) matter what you say. That's actually part of knowing that you're being gaslighted is if you bring this person evidence and say, here's the text where we agreed to this, or here's where we had this conversation, here's proof. Mm -hmm. And the person, instead of saying, oh yes, I did say that. If they instead say, are you serious? You're bringing proof. This is so petty. This You are so paranoid. I can't believe that you're doing this. You trust me this little. If they turn it around on you and make it about how you're so crazy or obsessive or paranoid that you're keeping tabs on them, let's say, that's a really big sign that you're being gaslighted. So mm-hmm. once you've kind of stepped back, you've observed, you see these gaslighting patterns, you see that evidence doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you say to this person, doesn't matter what communication strategies you use you know, you keep having the same issues over and over again, then you can do something what I call set silent boundaries. I talk about this more in my book. And it's essentially, these are the boundaries that no one even knows you're really setting except you. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, verbalizing boundaries is either ineffective or feels too big, it feels too overwhelming right now, then you can just start setting those silent boundaries in your mind. And this looks like in a conversation, Let's say a narcissist is trying to convince you something happened that you know didn't. You, you said something. You did something. They're saying you're crazy again or that you have some kind of problems. You reaffirm in your own mind what is true. You might just have almost like this blank stare on your face with the gaslighter, mm-hmm. because that is upsetting to them. If they don't see they're getting any reaction from you, you're just kind of, you know, blankly looking at them. But in your mind, you're thinking, I didn't say that. That didn't happen. That's not how I feel. This is what happened, and you you start to feel more empowered by that because that's what narcissists are really after is getting inside your mind. They want to be the filter through which you see the world. Ah, that is the ultimate end of gaslighting.
0: That's that's the key phrase right there.
1: Yes, they want to be the filter through which you see the world. Wow, and that is the ultimate end of gaslighting. If they can get you to the point where you kind of become a shell of a person. You don't have your own thoughts or feelings. You don't even know what those are anymore. You don't feel like you have a right to what you think and how you feel. What do you do? You end up shifting more to this really confident seeming person who always has the answers and always knows what's happened, meaning the narcissist. You end up looking to them more and more to validate your reality that they're actually the reason you're sick in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So setting these silent boundaries of affirming what is true Looking back at your notes and the things you've written down, seeing the patterns, is a way to mentally, emotionally say no to gaslighting.
0: My thoughts are racing. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many questions. Sometimes it's, you know, this gaslighting is part of a wider spectrum of abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so people are not safe and they need to get away. And sometimes some of that is kind of cut and dry. And you basically it's just, you know, it's pretty obvious when you should leave or something when do you get to a situation, like, when do you know, like, I can put up with this, I've set my mental boundaries, Mm -hmm. I can deal with this, and, you know, if I just have to interact with them on this certain level or this many times, I can deal with it, that's fine. But when do you just kind of come to a point, like, when do you take it to a boss, let's say, and say, this person is, I cannot work with this person, or... Whether it's a friend you want to cut off your relationship with or whether it's a sibling or something and you're like, I, I cannot deal with you until, we, you know, this stops or something. Where is that, what is it, the line in the sand? Like, where is that and when when do you know?
1: I think when the pain of staying in the relationship is greater than the fear of leaving it. Yeah. When you've tried everything you can do. When you've set boundaries, maybe when you're in therapy, when you're in your own coaching, when you're doing your own self-healing work, when you've set the silent boundaries, when you have disengaged from them, and you're still not feel you feel like you're stuck. I think in healing, you get to a point where you can heal to an extent in the relationship, and then some people get to a point where they know they have to either end the relationship or seriously disengage in order to get to that next step. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you've done all of the things that you can do while in the relationship and that is beginning to feel bigger than the fear of leaving it, then that's the point at which you may have to look at, you know, either Mm -hmm. going no contact, looking for the other job, going to the boss if you're at work, but knowing that they may not see it. You may not go to the boss until you know you're ready to find another job if needed or switch departments. So I think when I I speak from personal experience that for me, like when I've been in relationships with narcissists, I could take a lot. Like I kind of grew up in a household where trying to be perfect, trying to meet expectations, I felt was pretty normal. So I was always chasing, like it kind of set me up to feel like narcissistic relationships were normal. I was always, you know, Mm -hmm. used to doing more, giving more, communicating more as a therapist. It also just kind of came out of who I am. I'm just a naturally giving, helpful person. So I pushed and pushed and pushed until I knew that I would end up sacrificing my whole life for someone if I didn't get out of this. Mm-hmm. So that was the turning point for me. And I think for every person, you kind of have to look at, okay, when is when is enough enough?
0: Yeah. You know, you raise a good point of not knowing what a healthy relationship looks like. Yeah. Right? Some people grow up in it, and and they think, okay, that's... And then they end up repeating that pattern over and over and over because that's what they think is normal, and then they just Mm -hmm. find partners or friends who display the same behaviors. So... Maybe we should talk about what a healthy relationship looks like. Yeah.
1: What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a new concept. Like, what does right. that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So healthy relationships are characterized by mutuality, meaning there, there's a give and take. You don't feel like you're, you're overly giving or overly taking. There's a balance. You're able to have healthy conversations where you can talk about things. You can disagree you can have different opinions and it's not the end of the world. I'll tell you, in my current relationship, which is a very healthy relationship, I'll still have that trigger of like, Ugh, are you going to be mad at me? Like, did I say too much? Can, can we talk about this? And it's always fine. And if you have come from toxic relationships, healthy relationships kind of feel weird. Yeah. They feel unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And, and so it should be a relationship that's founded on respect with honesty, that there's kindness that they're giving to you, you know, what you're giving to them. Um, So all of those things we should be looking for, you know. Right, right. Empathy, respect. You can think of it like what you would expect in a really good friend. Right. I think it's easier sometimes, especially if you're thinking about a romantic relationship, if you can think about what would I want in a really good friend? Okay, that's what you should want in a healthy romantic relationship. Yeah. And sometimes that helps people. I think through what that looks like because sometimes when we think of romantic relationships we think of well we want that intensity or the connection or the the fireworks and all of that Ooh, that's a recipe for looking for a narcissist because they're really yeah. good at that first phase
0: they're good at the drama too the love bombing oh, and then the yes. and then the drama
1: yeah. yeah yeah and making you feel like you are investing in this great future this relationship like they're very good at getting you into the relationship and kind of selling you this life that you're going to have with them all the future faking the promises we're going to buy this house and have these kids and move to this place and it's going to be great and it's wonderful you think you're getting everything you ever wanted but when push comes to shove like you're months or so down the road you start to see that these things aren't happening like that they right. said that they would um and then more passive aggressiveness and contemptuous and coldness in the relationship starts happening but healthy relationships also have that slow burn like it might not be super intense in the beginning right you, you feel like you're getting to know again a good friend it's a it's a slow steady progression rather than this quick intense passionate like love story that all the romance films want us to believe is, is real actually just repackage love bombing so if you find somebody that you can feel safe with, connected to, that's empathetic, that's kind, like those are the things we should be looking for.
0: Yeah. I, I will say when I met my husband almost 30 years ago, maybe more. Oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that's amazing. I was a hot mess. I was a hot mess in my early 20s. I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. And I I was terrible. I was a terrible <laughs> Because I was like, this is boring, and I didn't know what normal was, and I ended up doing stupid things that, that riled up drama and broke up with him, and then we got back together. And I, I joke with my kids all the time. I'm like, I have no idea why he married me because I was terrible. I was such a hot mess. Um, But he stuck it out, and he went to therapy with me just to like – because I knew I had to work on these things, mm. Um, and he just was really patient. And so, you know, he stuck it out, and here we are all these years later, you know, it was it was really hard for me to know what a healthy relationship looked like.
1: Yeah, because your nervous system doesn't know what that means.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Our yeah. nervous system, our bodies look for what's familiar. And so if you grew up in a toxic, dis- dysfunctional, chaotic home, your, your nervous system is drawn to that as what's familiar, mm-hmm, not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, what's healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm we have the body is almost looking to uh, to heal past traumas so let me find another partner who's kind of chaotic or messy and if they're not then i'll kind of create it and then, and then we i'll can fix it fix with it. them yeah, yeah 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 okay yeah man so yeah so from an attachment <laughs> perspective a healthy relationship can absolutely feel boring it kind of you're like looking around like mm-hmm. When's the next shoe gonna drop? You're kind of suspicious. This isn't very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like you feel like you're missing something. Like they're really nice, but I just don't feel it with them. Right. And that means you're probably used to to more of a chaotic relationship, more of a trauma bonded relationship where there's yeah. you know, you form an attachment to someone who also hurts you. So you don't want to be yeah. hurt, but you want to be loved, and so there's this like toxic dance that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, as we've been talking, one of the th- questions that popped in my head was, how do you talk to someone when you, th- if you think they're in thrall mm-hmm. to a narcissist, and that can be personal, it can be societal. Like, what do, what do mm-hmm. you say to people who are, you know, under someone's spell? let's
1: say. Yes. So there's something called um, betrayal blindness. And when we want to keep an attachment, we tend to be blind to the bad things in the relationship. And the more mm. we want to keep the attachment, like the more we want to keep the partner, we want to keep our idea that we come from a happy family. We want the job or the workplace to be good. We're willing to overlook things that we might, might otherwise see. I have to manage this even in therapy or coaching. I might be able to see what somebody needs, but I also have to say, are they ready to hear it? And so as mm-hmm. a friend, you know, or a family member who's seeing someone, you may think, oh, this toxic workplace or boss or partner, Like you see it, but this person doesn't. The best thing you can do is maintain that open relationship with them. You can, you know... Pl- like we were talking about earlier with someone who's gaslighting you, you can ask questions like, oh, they said this, but but the other day they said this, like that doesn't make sense. You can start to kind of politely or like softly plant these seeds that later on might grow as the person starts to see it more for themselves or be willing or open to see it for themselves. But the most important thing is don't go in and say, this person's a narcissist, they're so toxic, I can't believe you don't see it what about this, this, and this? Like, I don't want you with this person. Or I'm really, even if you do it from a a good place, you could end up isolating and pushing that person away because if they are dealing with a narcissist, narcissists are really good at isolating their targets.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And narcissists will say, you know, that person doesn't know you. They don't understand what we have or they're jealous of you. And then you can end up pushing that person away if you, you know, come on too intensely to them or wanting them to see it. So maintain the relationship and just Point out inconsistencies or things that don't make sense, but do so delicately. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, you just want to stay there for them. Maintain that relationship. Keep them grounded. You know, remind them of why you have a friendship, why you hang out, good times you spent together. Make sure that they feel that you're a person they can trust and they can talk to. And you just kind of hold a space for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, is one of the seeds that you plant something like? You know, if you ever want to talk about things, you know, I'm here for you kind of a thing. Just just make sure they know the door is open.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely can be. Or it can be, you know, just pointing out, hey, you seem kind of down lately. You know, are you OK? How are things going? Um, you can ask them how they feel about the relationship or their workplace. Or have you noticed, you know, that you you seem like more distant or we haven't been spending as much time together within the last Six months, like what's going on or just whatever changes you see happening mm-hmm. with them. If you notice them pulling away, if you notice that they're more anxious lately, that they question themselves more, that their self-esteem is struggling, you can kind of just be a mirror to them and say, hey, I see these things. How can I help? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, hey, I see these things. You need to do something about them. Right, right. You they know? may not be ready and they might instantly be defensive. Shut or, you down. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Or like yeah. you said, they'll talk to that partner and then, you know, be made to think you're just a terrible person.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That is the hard thing because when you have healthy attachments, the person kind of expects you to be around. You know, they know that you're not judging them. So they don't feel anxious about having to check in with you as much as they probably feel like they have to check in with their narcissistic or toxic partner or boss or friend because they're more anxious about that relationship. They don't know where the narcissist is or where they are in their relationship or how close they are, how things are going. So, you know, it it can be hard to see, but that person may end up pulling more toward the narcissist because of the anxious attachment. And they actually don't check in with you as much because they feel a healthy, secure attachment to you. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, you have to take care of yourself too, though. Like you can only do so much for other people.
0: Yeah. You can't you're not everybody's save. You're not responsible for everyone else's happiness. Like that's Right.
1: That's all you can do.
0: Amazing. This what an amazing conversation. I feel like we could go on and on and on. Um We're Really good. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your book. I love the title. If only I'd
1: known. Tell me about it. So, I really wanted to write this book for either people who are not sure they're dealing with narcissists, maybe you know you're dealing with a narcissist or you're looking for more ways to heal. And it's called, you know, if only I'd known how to outsmart narcissists set guilt-free boundaries and create unshakable self-worth. I, I broke it up into three parts. First part is really on understanding the inner workings of a narcissist because there, there are multiple different types of narcissists. I break down six in my book because you may not even recognize someone as a narcissist if you don't understand how it can look and feel differently. And so giving people an understanding of, okay, this is what narcissism looks like. This is what narcissistic abuse does to you. Now what do I do with that? That's where I also talk about in part two, finding yourself, thinking about your relational traumas, your attachment wounds, how to heal those, what kind of childhood you grew up in and how that impacted you, how it maybe made you susceptible to narcissistic relationships or like we were talking about, made them feel familiar or normal Mm -hmm. in a way. And then the third part is on post-traumatic growth strategies. Whenever we experience a trauma, a significant struggle in life, you know, we have two roads, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth. And the post-traumatic growth is the positive changes that can occur after traumas and abuses, whether it's you give back to others, you understand things now that you did not before, you have more compassion or more space to hold compassion for people because of what you've been through. And so giving people strategies and insights on how do you experience more of that instead of staying you know, stuck in the post-traumatic stress symptoms, which is a totally normal part of the process. But, you know, the goal is to move out of that ultimately. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I'm, I'm guessing that can be found everywhere books are sold, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> Just Google it and it'll come up. Yeah. And then um, your website, ChelseaBrookCole.com, we'll put a link to that on our website. How else can people find you?
1: Yeah, you can Google my name or I'm on lots of social medias. Um, Facebook and Instagram are probably my biggest. I'm at Chelsea Brooke Cole everywhere and on Twitter at Chelsea B. Cole. And you have quite a community of people on your yeah, social. They're yeah. really great. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Is there any, any last thing you'd like to
1: share? Or any words of advice or anything? I like just people to know that they're not alone. Yeah, if they resonate with any of this. Narcissistic abuse is such an isolating type of abuse. It's so insidious; like you don't realize that it's happening until the damage is already done. And because of a lot of that, a lot of people blame themselves for it, or for not seeing it sooner, or thinking they should have known better. You know, if only I'd known. That's where kind of where the title yeah, came from. yeah. But just know that you're never responsible for how someone else treats you. You're only responsible for you and what you do with what you know now. And so, there's a lot of people who get it and understand it, and there is a way out. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been a delight talking to you, even yeah. though the subject's kind of
0: heavy. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's been a really enjoyable conversation, really enlightening. Thank you very much, and we'd love to have you back on sometime. So, thank you. Um, I hope we stand.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you so much. Got questions or a boundary-setting success story or flop? It's easy to get in touch with us. Send an email through our website, hardnopodcast.com, DM us on social, we're at hardnopodcast, or leave a message at 216-370-3410. We'll be featuring some of our favorite questions and messages in future mailbag episodes. So get in touch. You can find show notes and a transcript of today's episode on our website, hardnopodcast.com. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any new episodes. If you liked what you heard, please give us a rating and review, especially on Apple, so others can find us too. That's a Hard No is a production of Clever Girl Marketing, a strategic marketing agency based here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. You can learn all about us at CleverGirlMarketing.com. It's written by me, Heather Drago, and our amazing marketing and production coordinator, Mara Del Rosario production support evergreen podcast Noah Fouts, producer and editor extraordinaire our awesome new rock anthem was written by Noah and performed by his band The Big Leap I love it so much, thank you Noah shout out to Jake Donnelly the videographer and photographer who's the creative force behind our YouTube videos you demand, Jake, you can find him at rjdonnelly.com Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no and say it unapologetically.